Good morning, everybody. Hope I'm finding the middle of a fantastic day. And today we are continuing on in our series. We're talking about the book of Ruth today in our survey through the Bible. The book of Ruth is one of my favorite books. It's extremely unique to the Bible. So many times the Bible has a particular narrative and it stays with that narrative. For example, the books of law deal a lot with God's laws for the Hebrews, but also laws that cover mankind in general. A few examples of that, which I'm sure we've already talked about, are clean and unclean animals. Most people think that's primarily for the Jews, except you have that all the way back at the flood with Noah, way before you have Jews. And so it paints a picture of God's law, <clears throat> but also the capability of those who enforce God's law to show mercy. And that is truly, to me, what's really special about God's, excuse me, God's law. But that narrative continues through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You come to the books of history, and there is a bit more uniqueness to it. Uh, for example, the book of Joshua is very unique because they come into the land for the first time. They conquer the land. They split the land up. The book of Judges is the only book in which you see a theocracy, right? That's the only time in history any nation functions this way where God is king. And then we come to the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is different even than, than all of that because the book of Ruth being a book of history goes into very specific detail about a very specific family. Now, we haven't seen this since the early chapters of the book of Genesis, where we were talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. From there, it's been about the nation. You come to the book of Ruth and it zeroes in on this specific family. Reason for that and why it's still considered a book of history, we'll get into in a minute. But it's largely believed that the author of the book of Ruth is Samuel himself. So this would be more of a looking back on historical events than it would be, <clears throat> excuse me, than it would be uh, writing during the events of this. That makes the events no less true, however. So probably Samuel the prophet. Other than that, I mean, that's the best guess anyone has, really. The date of the events cover 10 to 12 years after Judges, or 931 BC. So that is sort of in between Judges and 1 Samuel. And you'll see how the timeline works out when we get to the end of the book. Uh, but that is the timeline is after the book of Judges. There is some very specific wording that tells us about sort of what's taking place during this particular time period. Because you remember, in the book of Judges, you have the cycle. Right? There's not always a judge representing or conveying God's message to his people. So at this particular time, there's nobody, per se, to represent God and his will to his people. The book of Ruth talks about a time in which every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's the time that Ruth takes place in. The theme of the book of Ruth is redeeming grace. And it paints a beautiful picture 
of love and compassion. This is a, a beautiful story of God's grace to the individual people, as well as a romantic love story. Uh, the story centers around the idea of a kinsman redeemer. Now, a kinsman redeemer was somebody who, if uh, a woman was widowed, he could redeem her back to the family if he was related to the man who had passed away. It had to be a very specific relationship to uh, the one who passed away before he could redeem the widow back to the family. Uh, the qualifications of a kinsman redeemer are as such, he must have right to redeem by relationship, which I just talked about. He must have the power to redeem. Um, details on that, chapter 3, verse 11, sort of touch on that a little bit. And then he must be willing to redeem, chapter 3 and verse 13, talk about that as well. So he's not obligated to redeem a woman back to the family if she's been widowed from the family, but he can. And that is sort of the rub here, is it's not something obligated, it's something chosen. And that just pictures Christ so much that he had the right relationship, right? He was the God-man. He was just as much God as though he was never man, and he was just as much man as though he was never God. He was the perfect bridge between us and God, and uniquely related to both, so that he could be this bridge, right? Uh, must have the power to redeem, not only the relationship, but the power to redeem. Again, Christ not only able to relationally, but also because he was perfect, because he was so pure, because he was sinless, he was able to redeem us from our sins. Sort of our kinsman redeemer, if you will. And then the willingness that Christ was so willing to be our savior, to be our kinsman redeemer. Uh, the theme of this is so beautiful because it is a love story. And it shows not only their love, but God's redeeming grace is not out of a, a, a form of duty. You know, it's out of, not out of a form of obligation, right? I have to do this even though I don't want to. He didn't have to do this. He chose to do this. And that's what makes the love story so beautiful, is that it is a love displayed on both sides, right? She loves him and he hymns. She loves him, and he loves her. The outline of the book of Ruth uh, goes as follows. It's not a very long book, so this part will be a good bit shorter than the rest. Uh, in chapter 1, we see in the they are in the land of Moab, and, and what takes place there is that this family has left Israel during a time of famine to live in the land of Moab, uh, so that they have food and things are a little bit easier for them. They're not having to struggle so much. And in my personal opinion, the only thing wrong with that is you're not supposed to go into another land like that, right? You're supposed to stay in Israel. It's a lot like we talk about Abraham leaving the promised land to go to Egypt during that famine. A lot of people believe Abraham should have just stayed in the promised land and God would have taken care of him. And this was probably true of this family as well because there's a lot of tragedy that follows but not before some good times the two sons of Naomi 
and her husband get married. What a happy time. They get married to two Moabite women, which is a sin. They're not supposed to do that. And then there's a war broke out. A lot of the details of this war, we don't know. We don't know who was fighting. We don't know what happened. But we know that through the course of events, somehow uh, her husband died. Naomi's husband died. And then her two sons died. So the three wives of the family are left widows. Uh, her Naomi being a matriarch of the family, though she doesn't necessarily have to be redeemed into the family because she is sort of a, a mother. She's a matriarch, right? She's related to the family in ways more than just by her husband. So she doesn't need to be redeemed because she's still related to her sons, obviously. So they're in the land of Moab. They pass away and... Naomi decides she's going to go back to Israel and go home and spend out the rest of her days there. And she tells the two daughters-in-law, go back home, go to your families, get remarried, and have a happy life. And the one does, but the other one doesn't. And her name is Ruth. And she says, no, I'm going to go with you. And Naomi gives her a hard time. Why would you do that? What would be the point in that? I can't have any more kids. I'm too old for that. Besides, even if I did, you're going to wait for them to grow up so you can marry him? Like, that's weird and creepy, and you're not going to do that. And she says, you're young. You've got your whole life. Go and, and live a happy life with somebody. And she says, I want to go with you. I want to go to Israel. I want to live with you. You're my family. And so Naomi agrees, and they go together back to Israel. And they get back to Israel, brings us to chapter 2. In chapter 2, we see they're trying to find a way to feed themselves. Because back in that day and time, women didn't work. It wasn't a choice thing. It wasn't a cultural thing. It was just the way the world worked. Men brought home the bread. And the women sort of took care of the house. That's the way it works for a lot of people still. But today it's by choice. Uh, the women want to be stay-at-home moms or they want to be uh, caretakers of the house. That's their choice. That's what they want to do. And that's great and it's wonderful. Uh, things were a little bit more difficult for Ruth than a lot of women nowadays. And the only way she could bring in bread was there was this cultural phenomenon, right? Where if the man had a lot of land he would sort of separate his land out during harvest time and they would let anybody who wanted to come onto the land and reap of the harvest, right? And they would get paid for their wages for the day. And you didn't have to be, you know, officially hired on. You didn't have to go through any process like you would any other job. You don't take on an apprenticeship or work for them as a, you know, full-time employee loyal to the company. No, it's just you showed up that day, you did some work, you got paid for it. And that was it. It was as simple as that. And so Ruth decided to go do that. She just showed up on a piece of land and she started working the field. And she was the only woman there doing that kind of work. She was the only woman there working at all. And she had to do that so that she could survive, right? And so while she's there, they find out uh, what the man's name is. His name was Boaz, who owned the piece of land that she was working on. And when she gets back home, Naomi tells her, he's near of kin. He could redeem you back to the family and we might not have such hard times anymore. If this goes right, you could be Boaz's wife. And we could have a happily ever after. And so they begin to really 
seek the Lord's will about this. Which brings us to chapter 3, on the threshing floor of Boaz. And things kind of start to kick up a notch here in chapter 3. And that's where Boaz begins to see Ruth and recognize her, begins to fall in love with her. She begins to fall in love with him. And things are, are picking up pace and they're getting exciting and there's some drama involved and that sort of a thing. And so a lot of events take place in chapter 3. Chapter 4 is the last chapter. And between these two chapters, what happens is uh, Ruth continues to work for Boaz. And Boaz has a big feast at the end of the work week or whatever it is for all of his workers. But he places Ruth in a place of sort of favoritism. He gives her extra food. He leaves some handfuls of of grain on the floor for her to pick up as she works during the day he's showing her favoritism he's showing that he has some feelings for this person and she leaves a message for him to meet her outside at night and they do that's all that happens perfectly innocent and pure and she expresses who she is and how she's related to him and asks the big question and he expresses his interest but says that there might be a couple of hiccups along the way. And isn't that always the case? No matter what you're trying to do, isn't it always more legally complicated than it should be? I mean, my goodness. But he's in love with this woman. He wants to redeem her back to the family. But there's somebody in a better position relationally than he is. So he has to go to that person and say, I want to redeem them. uh, But in order for me to do that, you have to give up your right to redeem them as well. And so he goes to this person, and he meets with them, and he tells them this, and this person says, well, hey, is there any money involved? Because I might want to marry her if there's, you know, something in it for me. And not that I love her or care about her, but if I get some sort of a financial investment, hey, I'd be interested in that. And he says, no, no, they don't have any money. They're just, uh, they're just, I just love her, and I want to marry her, and it just so happens to be the situation. He says, oh, well then, yeah, I don't care. Go ahead. So they get rid of the, the legal situation, if you will. Then they go ahead and they get married and have their happily ever after. Naomi and Ruth are part of Boaz's family. They all come together. The kinsman redeemer saves them and they get their happily ever after. It's a beautiful story, but there are a few more things we can dive deep into. There's a couple of things I haven't told you about and specifically left out of the story. So don't stop listening yet because there's some more interesting things coming up. But I didn't want to talk about the key words in this book, there's a couple of them, is the word redeem, and it parallels beautifully to the New Testament. The relationship between Ruth and Boaz paints a beautiful picture of love, which is a very wooden word in our English language compared to the Koine Greek the New Testament was written in. And they have several different words for our one word of love, like phileo is brotherly love. Uh, Agape is a deeper, more powerful kind of love. That's the kind of love that God has for us. We as humans are incapable of feeling the godly agape love that God feels for us. Excuse me. And so that word of love between us and God is different than the sort of romantic love. My goodness, I apologize. I'm having a hard time. So anyway... Redeem paints beautifully into the New Testament because just as Boaz loved Ruth and wanted to redeem her, so too does the Lord love us 
wants to redeem us back to his spiritual family and the family of God. If you're saved and born again this morning, you're a member of the family of God. That's a beautiful and wonderful thing. Then we look at the word kinsman. And that ties in with what we're talking about with God's family as well. Kinsmen. And you see, Israelites and Jews in the New Testament thought that they were special because they were related to Abraham, right? They were related to this wonderful historical figure, and being related to him gave them sort of special favor with God. Jesus came along and corrected them and told them that that name would not save them from their sins. And that being related to Abraham was not enough to guarantee them to get into heaven. And that only by the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ can somebody get into heaven, whether they're Jews or whether they're Gentiles, whether they were Greeks or whether they were Romans, whether they were male or female, whether they were white, black, or any other color. They were required to come to salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, and they weren't better than anybody else. And that is the beauty of it, is that it wasn't favoritism. That God loves each and every one of us, uniquely and individually, but all of us. You know, nobody gets a, a Groupon into heaven. God loves each and every one of us uniquely in a very special way, but we all get to heaven through him. He is our kinsman because what matters most is not who you're related to. It doesn't matter if your daddy was a pastor, your granddaddy was a pastor, and you've got religious people all through your family tree. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish and you've got Abraham as your patriarch. The only thing that matters is, are you a member of the family of God or not through salvation, by grace, through faith, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? That word kinsman, it plays a beautiful, wonderful part in salvation, as well as the book of Ruth. Let me pull up for you real quick the key verse in the book of Ruth, and it is in chapter 4. And it is verse 14. And it says, And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. So what we're talking about there is Ruth and Naomi being redeemed together back to uh, their family. They don't have to struggle anymore. God has not forgotten them. And that is a very powerful message because earlier in this book, when Naomi first returned to Israel, everybody said, oh, Naomi's returned. How wonderful. Naomi, it's good to see you. And she says, don't call me Naomi because the word Naomi means sweet. So don't call me Naomi because God hasn't been sweet to me. He's been very bitter to me for no good reason. So don't call me sweet. Call me Mara because the word Mara means bitter. She said, for the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. She was angry at God because she lost her husband. She lost her children. She felt like she lost everything. She felt like she would never be happy again. And then we come to chapter 4 at the end of the story. And we see that God has restored happiness to the life of Naomi once again. 
Maybe they were being punished for going there. Maybe God was serving some overall better purpose. But whatever the reason was, Naomi thought that God had forgotten about her and she would never be happy again. And she was so glad that she was proven wrong. And I'm telling you, this morning, if you're in one of those situations, you feel like God's forgotten about you, you feel like you've lost everything that ever matters, hang in there. Don't do anything drastic. You just continue on and you will arrive at your place like this. This didn't happen for Ruth overnight. She spent many years mourning and sad. She spent many years working hard in fields just to survive, just to have food. She lived like this for a long time before she got happiness again. And so you might be in a period of life where you're not necessarily quoting Ruth 4.14. You might be feeling like Naomi who called herself Mara. But just hang in there and you'll get to your Ruth 4.14. That's why it's such an important key verse because they didn't always feel like this. And that's what made feeling like this so wonderful and special and makes it such a great story is because there was a time they felt the exact opposite. There are some special features in the book of Ruth we need to talk about. Uh, lessons learned from this story being one of them. Uh, Elimelech uh, refused to come back to God. Naomi returned to the will of God. Mahalon and Chilion, those are her sons, they reaped what their father had sown in bringing them to the land, which is what we talked about earlier on in the podcast. Excuse me, Orpah uh, rejected the true God because she returned to her family and their gods. What really appealed to Ruth, and I didn't go over this earlier, but what really appealed to Ruth in wanting to follow Naomi back to Israel was she wanted to get to know God even better. She knew she couldn't do that in Moab. So she wanted to return to Israel to be faithful to her mother-in-law, but also to be faithful to God, which is a beautiful thing, and especially when she lost everything and she still wanted to be faithful to God and get to know him more. Um, also, another special feature in this book is looking at how far you can go on grace. I've got a quote here I'd like to read for you now. It says, It'll lead you out of Moab and into the house of bread, into the house of uh, into the house of bread, into the haven of Boaz, up to the table of fellowship, down to the threshing floor, and into the family. And all of these things that they endured, they endured because of grace, because God had grace upon them. And you can look at these things and you can put a negative spin on anything. But man, that's just not how we're supposed to live. People think that the truth is a matter of perspective and that there's a certain narrative to any story and that you can be positive or negative about any fact under the sun. But the fact of the matter is God has a narrative and that narrative is the true narrative. Truth is not a matter of perspective. Truth is a matter of God's perspective. The reason people don't believe that is because we've gotten to a point where we think that it is socially acceptable and morally right to exclude God from our conversations and our thought processes. But including God in our conversations and into our thought processes does not lead to lazy science. It doesn't lead to lazy thinking like a lot of people use the concept of God to excuse away their control and their lust for power. 
The Catholic Church has never accurately represented what it means to believe in the one true God with their crusades and with their uh, reign of control in the kingdom in England and in the United Kingdom and so forth. And that was a very dark time in history. But including God in the conversation does not make us lazy in our thinking. We can be just as strong thinkers as we can with God as we can without it. And including God's narrative into your way of thinking will teach you to see things the way he sees things, which is a much more positive light. God has given you things you don't realize he's given you. You have things you don't realize you have, and you should be grateful for things you don't even realize you should be grateful for. How do we do all of this? By including God's narrative into our own. You know, overlay that upon the events that take place in your life. See things through his eyes. Try to understand that things don't happen overnight and that things happen for a reason and that you will arrive at a better place because we're allowing God to bring us through these things by his grace and all the things that we've gotten along the way that we just never took time to think about or realize. You can go very far on the grace of God if you'll just allow it into your life. It'll lead you from being the wife of, I believe this says Malon. I don't think that's right. Um, <laughs> Malon, that's what it is. From being the wife of Malon to being the wife of Boaz. In other words, it'll lead you from where you started to becoming the person that God saved you to become, to obtaining sort of your destiny in God. Because that's what destiny is. It's just God's will. And people use the phrase God's will to manipulate it, to try to push their own sort of agendas, whether it be religiously or politically. But destiny is just God's will, and I have no more power over it than you do. All I can do is stop resisting it and begin to go with it. That's all you can do as well, is go from resisting God's will to accepting and finding your destiny in Christ. And the last thing we want to look at this here day is Christ in the book. And of course, we talked about how Boaz is such a wonderful Christ in the book. Uh, he's the one who shows grace to strangers, just like we see Christ do all throughout the Gospels and in salvation itself. Uh, he paid the redemption price in full. That sort of writes itself, doesn't it? Uh, he did what the near kinsman would not and could not do. Um, it sort of talks about our own goodness and you can't use your own goodness. You can't live a good enough life to earn your way to heaven. Uh, that kinsman redeemer uh, could not afford to redeem Ruth and Naomi. He wasn't willing to and he wasn't able to. He was not the true kinsman redeemer. That was Boaz. We can't save ourselves. Our goodness cannot save us. The only thing that can save us is Jesus. Uh, he is the Lord of the harvest. Jesus talked about the harvest many times throughout Scripture. Uh, he is the bridegroom. He's the gentle bride. Uh, he is the famous one of Bethlehem. His family was famous in Bethlehem. Can you think of somebody else born in Bethlehem that was really famous? And no, we're not talking about Jesus. Well, not yet, anyway. 
is if you've made it this far in the podcast, you've reached the really, truly amazing thing about Ruth. And now those of you that are sort of familiar with the book of Ruth, but never quite got to the very end of the book, I'm fixing to blow your minds, okay? Because in the book of Ruth, we find out that Ruth married Boaz, and they had a family together. And Ruth and Boaz's great-grandson is David. Jesse was her grandson. Her great-grandson was King David. That's right, folks. So if you've connected the dots in your brain this far, also realize that if she's related to David, then yes, coming back to him, she's related to Jesus. So within the bloodline of Christ, you have a Moabite woman, not born into Israel, but sort of grafted into the family tree, who was married to another man before, who died in Moab, and then was redeemed back to the family through Boaz. This is the woman, the woman who worked herself like a dog just to survive, is woman who probably through the course of events began to not think very much of herself. And yet she's one of the only women uniquely mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 as being part of the bloodline of Christ. This is a monumental thing. That this woman would be grafted into the family tree of Jesus. If you allow God to take you where he wants you to go, just like Ruth, you will arrive at such a better place than anything you have planned for yourself. And those of you that are old enough realize that life is what happens in between the plans that you make. You plan for this job to go well. You go off to college and you graduate college on time and then you get this wonderful job. You work the job, you marry the woman, you have the family, you live happily ever after. That's the plan, except the plan often goes off the rails. You go to go to college, you can't get accepted anywhere. And maybe you get accepted somewhere, your grades don't turn out the way you want them to, or you get halfway through the program before you realize you don't really want to do this with your life, and you want to start going to college for something different altogether, so now you got to start all the way over. And then you spend more time in college than you plan to, and you graduate older than you wanted to be. Or maybe you graduate on time and you go to get the job, but you can't get hired anywhere because guess what? You don't have any experience. And then maybe you get the job, but you spend so much time working, you don't have time for a social life and you can't find anybody you want to have a committed relationship with. And you end up being single for a lot longer than you wanted to either. Or maybe you find the girl and you date for a while, you ask her to marry you, and she says no. Or maybe she says yes, and then a few year, and then like a few months into the the arrangements, she decides to call it off and walks out forever. Maybe you get married and you decide to have kids, but the doctor tells you having kids for you is going to be nearly impossible. Life is what happens in between the plans that we make, and sometimes it goes off the rails. Your plan for yourself may seem great to you, and it may seem like these are things I have to have. I am not going to be happy without them. But I promise you, if you just stop fighting God's will for your life, you pursue what He wants for you, you will arrive at such a better place than what you had planned for yourself. It may be different, but different is not always bad. You may have to give up some of the things you wanted in life, but you will have things in life you never even dreamed you could have. 
It's not going to happen overnight, and it's not going to happen tomorrow, and it's going to take some faithfulness, and it's going to take some trust on your part. But the grace of God will get you there. All you have to do is trust your kinsman redeemer. He loves you. He cares about you. And he wants to give you good things. Are you going to let him? Thank you for listening.